drops. Morpheus is fighting Neo. Hello, and welcome to the Hollywood Fishbowl. Do you want another shot of that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Morpheus is fighting Neo. Hello, and welcome to the Hollywood Fishbowl. I am and can only be your host, Jesse Kester. Today, we are joined by the one, the only, the illustrious... Charles Jensen. Charles, welcome to the program. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks awesome. for having me. No, thank you for coming out. I think we're burning out. Yeah, we're out of music now. Good. <laughs> uh, the music's a little quieter than I prefer, so I'm going to give it a bit more juice. Not that we use it that much. Anyway, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Awesome. We're still good. We <laughs> haven't gone off the rails yet. Uh, we got a lot to get into today. Let's do it. We got to talk about uh, life Life as a, a professional poet, something we've never, ever had on this show. I'm happy to be the first. And I would prefer to be the only. Okay. Uh, sorry about everyone else for the rest of time who just got canceled. But uh, I'm going to respect that. We will never have a... Oh, sorry. I'm a professional poet. <laughs> well, I feel like this is going to end in a duel. Only one. This is a battle royale. There can be only one. Two may enter. <laughs> one Mate, wait. Yeah. Anyway, we're also going to talk about UCLA Extension, the writers program. Uh, no more members of that group on the show, or the? No, that's okay. Okay, we want the promotion. And we're going to talk about the chat book, Nanopedia, and um, I'm assuming that anyone who's listening doesn't know what any of that. That none of that makes any sense unless you know what it is. I put just... money on that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to get into all of that. Mm-hmm. Is that okay? Yeah. Let's do it before we. <laughs> Okay, all right. Before we get into... Don't order yet. Have you noticed the pattern where I say we're going to do this and then we (laughs) don't do that at all? Uh, We're going to do something called Five and Five, where I ask you five questions. You have but one minute to answer those things. And we've got a new version of that, wherein it's on the screen. Wow, okay. So... uh, Eyes over here, young. This is why it's completely useless is because you don't get to see it on the screen. I do. We've we've considered swapping seats and maybe we'll do that for another recording, but I didn't do it yet. Anyway, five and five. You good? Yeah. Okay. And you get um, rambunctious sound effects. Yeah. Here we go. Question one. Where did you grow up and how did that inform your adulthood? Wow. Well, I grew up uh, in a town called Eagle, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. uh, home to 1,008 people when I was there. That's not many people. It's not at all. Uh, there was not a single stoplight there. Um, it has you know, informed everything about my life. Uh, I, gr- I grew up in a place where everyone knew who I was mm-hmm. and who I belonged to, so there wasn't any anonymity. Mm-hmm. And um, also, you know, growing up as a queer person, that made me very visible. Uh, and that... Were you out from early on? I was not, but everyone okay. was like, you're gay. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no. And then I was like, yes, later. What, what was the what was backing up that no? Like, why? Fear. Okay. Oh, yeah. We're out of time. I'd okay. love to talk about that more, but um, the minute's up. It was Eagle what, Wisconsin? Just Eagle. Just Eagle, Wisconsin. Okay, okay. Question two. What is the must-engage media, the book, the movie, the television show, the album that opened up your brain to the very secrets of the universe? Wow. Well, I'm full of ideas, um, but the first and most meaningful one I would say is the movie All About My Mother. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Changed really what I thought about storytelling, what I thought about cinema. Is that the one with the uh, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps sequence, or is that a different one? That's a different one, I think. Okay, sorry. Anyway, I'll let you go. This is... um, just like there's an, a nun who's infected with HIV. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's because a lot it's of, an Elmo Devar film, yes. there has to be somebody infected with HIV. Yes. And then there are several transgender characters mm-hmm. living life unapologetically. Yep. Uh, a lesbian star of Streetcar Named Desire. Yep. Uma. Is her name not Uma? Uma. Yeah. Uma. Uma. Sorry. Yes. She's a, she's a female. You're doing just fine. I can't wait to talk about <laughs> Elmo Devar for one hour straight. Question three. What is the greatest source of joy in your life? Oh, um, well, I'm fortunate to have a lot of sources of joy. Um, and it's not a competition, right? But so, who's winning? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm gonna say writing. I, you know, writing is always there when I need it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's a collaboration between me and myself, and um, I almost never let myself down. Um, and it's always There's something that confidence. That's awesome. <laughs> it challenges me in a way that I really appreciate. Now, is that is that true? The uh, not the, the that you do believe in yourself so fundamentally, or like do you actually not go into writing sessions worried that you're going to disappoint yourself? I don't because I can't disappoint myself. What the fuck is okay, happening? Let's. I mean, we can hash it out. <laughs> We're um, going to. This is this is entirely new. In the writing, in the moment of writing. I have full permission to fail. Ah, Question four. What gets under your skin? <laughs> oh. Um, well, today it is the Alabama Senate. They're getting under a lot of people's skin. Yeah. Um, I'm really, I'm really upset about, um, men who want to make laws for women in particular. Um, I'm also just really upset about men who make laws that govern not themselves. Mm -hmm. Anyone who's not themselves. So I woke up to that information today wondering what I could do. Have you found an answer to what you can do? Because I'd love to talk we we are a solutions oriented podcast and and I'd love to get into that if you have some, some ideas on the table. Aside from giving money, I don't have much else you skipped right over vote. <laughs> well, it, I mean, vote early and often in, in Alabama. <laughs> well, we'll get into that. Is this music too scary? Are you doing okay? It's intense, okay. but I'm I'm here for it. Last question. We're going to talk about advice. What is the best advice you've received, and what advice do you want to put out into the universe? My favorite advice ever came from the poet C.D. Wright, and she gave it to a friend of mine named Caroline, who was in a workshop with me. Mm -hmm. Caroline asked her what she should do about people who expected her to be a regional poet, and C.D. Wright said, "Don't, don't sign up. And I've taken that advice, and then I apply it to everything, so... Whatever someone else's expectations are of me, I don't sign up to that. Like, I know Mm -hmm. what my expectations are of myself, and that's my commitment. Um, And I also don't expect... Now I can't remember the second half of this part. Um, But there's two parts to this advice. Mm -hmm. Don't be what people expect you to be, and I can't... I've lost it. That's okay. (laughs) And what is the advice that that comes from your heart that you want to put out? Um, Be yourself. Just in time. That was so close to that was right under the wire. 
you did it. That was five and five. Oh, you smashed, you I, owned, you destroyed. I'm a little sweaty. I mean, yeah, no, it's intense. We're going to ease off the throttle now. Right. That's okay. Because okay, there's yeah. a lot. There was yeah. a lot embedded in there and I want to get into all of it. But I would like to start with uh, Nanopedia yeah. and Chapbook. Okay. Uh, because I read uh, Nanopedia and it's a, it's a poetry collection. It is. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did something that I don't usually do while I'm reading poetry collections and that is uh, I enjoyed it. Wow. Thank so, you. No, thank you. That was, <laughs> you did the heavy lifting on this one. <laughs> But it's good. Do you feel it? Yeah, obviously you do. I, we know the answer from that from your question number three, I believe. Well, I, I, no, my answer would be different. So, What's your answer? You know, my relationship to things that are written is, is different than the, the process of writing them. Um, and Nanopedia in particular um, is a book that's been part of my life for a very long time. So I wrote the earliest poems in that collection when I was in graduate school, which was... 15 years ago is when I graduated. So those poems have been sitting around waiting for something to do for a long time. And, uh, it's a weird book. It was a book that resisted becoming a book. I didn't, I had all these poems, these prose poems that I'd written sort of as a homework assignment to myself. Mm -hmm. Um, What's that assignment? Is that like one a day for a year or one a week or just, uh, it wasn't necessarily one a day although I strive to write every day and Mm -hmm. I can't remember how long it went on. I know the project got interrupted by a life event that triggered a different project. So, um, I probably worked on this for three or four months. Okay. I would guess. And so I ended up with, um, 120, I'd say, Mm -hmm. uh, in the end. And what I would do is I would just like, you know, pay attention for a word that I encountered in the day that like resonated yeah. For whatever reason. And then I would go home and I would write would a definition. Would that end up being the title? No. Okay. Okay. No. Okay. That came much later. The titles of oh, each of the poems. Initially they were the titles. Yes. Okay. 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 Because um, each of them has like that kind of like, uh, like they, they pack that sticky punch that they stay in your brain. Most of the, most of those original titles are gone. Really? Yes. So it wasn't that sticky to you? No. <laughs> and in fact, I liked them better when those words were gone. Really? Yeah. So as the project, you know, I had all these poems. I didn't know how they would fit together in a book. Mm -hmm. Um, None of them made any sense together. And then as I was revising them, I just thought of this, you know, the concept of an encyclopedia being, the the goal of the encyclopedia is to hold everything. Yeah. But, um, you know, at the time that I was really putting this book together, society was moving toward making things as small as possible. So there was a great tension between being comprehensive and and miniature, and mm-hmm. that was that was the space that launched the idea of this nanopedia, which is just a tiny encyclopedia. Yeah, yeah. So as I was revising the poems, I made a like three and a half inch by three and a half inch box on the page, and every poem had to fit within that space. Handwritten, typed. Okay. okay. Um, and they could be shorter, but they couldn't be longer. So that that informed a lot of the revision. It is an easy read. <laughs> For, yeah, I mean, it kind of. It's breezy. Flies by. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and then it became a, a weirdly political book as well, mm-hmm. because I think I was thinking so much about America. And I was writing a lot of the poems like during the second Bush administration, uh, when Obama was coming uh, into his presidency. And I also lived in Washington, D.C. for a time during that period. So all of, you know, the idea of what was what was what America meant was mm-hmm. something I was unable to escape. 
None of it feels far away right now. Yeah. It's it's uh, un- unnerving to find out that it was written that long ago. Weirdly enduring ideas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I agree. What you how did you enjoy those 8 years of vacation with Obama when they didn't have to <laughs> Well, it, be doing this every 2 weeks. It wasn't a vacation because the uh the minority party was constantly investigating things. Mm-hmm. Um so there was I would say there are some Republicans who are levying the same complaint right now. Yes, yes, I agree. Um but it never felt like we could rest it. We were always um mindful that there was a lot of work left to do. Yeah. Both yeah. both in terms of social justice, but also in terms of just getting the government and the economy back on track and mm-hmm. ensuring that everyone had the opportunity to succeed. Yeah. Even when we weren't rolling backwards down the hill, <laughs> there was a lot of forward work we had to do. And how are you holding up? <sighs> um <laughs> I I'm it's gonna I'm gonna say this and feel very strange about it, but I feel a little I feel a little grateful. Hit me. Um, I, I'm wondering if your optimism is going to get under my skin. <laughs> <laughs> you keep sneaking it around the corners and I, I, yeah, keep going. Okay. Um, I, I'm so much more engaged. I'm so mm-hmm. much more aware. I know the names of more elected officials now than any other time in my life. Yep. I know what they're working on. I um, I understand the issues that are affecting communities that I'm not a part of, mm-hmm. and how I should, how I can and should support uh, the work that they're doing. Um, I listen a lot, and I feel like I've become, uh, in a lot of ways, just a smarter human being and someone who uh, is really committed to to building the future and not just like sitting by and watch it get built. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> right there with you. Increasingly wishing I wasn't. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to be a crank. I'd like to be more cranky. But, well, um, but I, it's true. It's true. There's a greater awareness. Uh, thumbs are on more pulses right yeah, now than yeah. ever before. And but there's. A, I feel like there's a lot. A lot to be angry about. And I respect. I respect people's anger. I don't. I don't always want to be in anger. Yeah. Um, I, I like, I think like you, I really want to look for how to be in a solution, um, so that we don't have to be angry. Yeah. We're going to come back to that. Uh, let's not get too far from poetry. right? Yeah. Can I, can I, um, come back to something that you said right at the beginning? Um, anytime ever (laughs) you mentioned chat book. Yes. Yes. And, um, can we get some definitions of chapbook and Nanopedia? Yeah. So Nanopedia is actually a collection and Mm -hmm. that that's considered a full length book, um, for, for a poetry collection, that's anywhere from like 60 pages to a hundred usually more commonly like closer to 60 and 80. A chapbook is a weird little form that's very specific to poetry. Um, the closest you can get to, uh, describing it would be like a novella to mm-hmm. a novel or like uh, an EP to an LP, mm-hmm. like just something smaller, but still contained. Um, a muffin to a meal. Sure. Uh, Can you guess who's getting a little <laughs> bit hungry right now? I guess it depends on if it's a sweet or savory muffin. Savory, flaxseed. Yeah. Okay. I'll go with savory muffin okay. on that. Yeah. Um, so chapbooks tend to be 14 to 40 pages okay. at the max. So um, I've published six chapbooks. I, it's a form, I, I tend to write in sequence or like 
uh, poems that are in a series together. So they're all in conversation with each other. Yes, yes. Uh, Nanopedia definitely weaves like a tapestry of, of feelings, of opinions. You get a feel for who the author is in a, in a woven sense. And there are about 300 mentions of the moon which I didn't realize until after the book was published. And I was like, moon, 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 what? What is it with you and the moon? <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't know if I feel comfortable talking about that. Really? No, I don't know. I don't know. Cause why. I love, like I, we could, this could be all moon talk if you want. I just stare at that thing. And <laughs> you know, what's fun to do is at night, stare at the full moon and tell your brain that it is a three dimensional object, that it's not a disc, that it's a sphere. Yeah. And just like wrestle with your mind on, on that one for a while. I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't even look like that. Yeah, I know. I, there's nothing spherical about it, Mm -hmm. but you have to like, you have to tell your mind it's, it's a struggle. It really, you know what else is fun? Uh, Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) we'll get back to that. If we have time at the end, say what was fun. And I'll tell you, all right. Um, can I ask you about your writing process? Yeah. So you said that was like three to four months to write the Nanopedia, somewhere around there? That was to, to generate the work, yeah. How much of that writing, I, d- I, do, I do writing daily, maybe two or three hours, and I'm always trying to put a bead on how much writing I do when I'm sitting at the paper with the pen, and how much writing my brain is doing without me doing any work at all throughout mm-hmm. the day, or in the months leading up, or in the weeks leading. Have you done any measurements of that? Like, do you ever do that kind of meta study of yourself uh i know but uh moving on uh, but i do have a writing schedule and i found that um uh, having that time every day means that i i write more consistently i carry more things to completion um i am ready to write when i sit down because i know Mm -hmm. that's my only shot Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and sometimes I write more than that. Like I'll sometimes sneak away at lunch or, you know, in the evening, although it's very rare cause my brain likes to turn off at 5 PM. Doesn't it? Yeah. It, yeah. It, it clocks what time out. do you get up? 5 AM. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Same exact thing. 930. I'm useless. Yeah. Just functionally useless. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm lucky if I can put a meal together. Yeah. yeah. Yep. 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 And when are you, is your writing like six to nine or something like that? What's your, what's your pen to paper schedule? It's really like six thirty to seven thirty. Really? Yeah. So I, I wake up and I go exercise and then when I come home, I, um, you know, I take my dog for a walk and I shower mm-hmm. and then I do my writing before I uh, get ready to go to work. Shower, walk, work for three hours, walk back <laughs> home. <laughs> three hours just sounds like a lot. It, well, Okay. I'm not very good at writing. (laughs) I just feel like for me, there would be diminishing returns. You know, the longer I sit there, the less I'm doing. No, it, that's the thing is, is I don't know what's going to happen at two hours and 45 minutes. So I have to stick it out because there have been times when that, like for the last 15 minutes, I do three hours of writing. Mm. There have been times when I do three hours of writing in the first 10 minutes, but it's, if I don't sit it out, I haven't done the job. Um, I'm not saying I'm having fun for three hours. There, there can be an hour stretch where nothing, nothing happens. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, that's painful. Yeah. There's nothing fun. I, I'm, I, I worry for you. How do you, so then that, that let's, let's talk about that thing in you that you know that you're allowed to fail to the point that it, it lets you succeed. How does that math work at all? Cause that's not how it's feeling in the, the middle hour and a half for me. Uh, I think it's something that I've really grown into. Um, 
and part, I think now that I write what feels to me like so often, mm-hmm. um, there's less personal investment in each individual day's product and more of just like a, like getting to the end or, um, using the time to discover what I need to be thinking about for the next day. Um, and I, so I, I just don't, I don't feel like, you know, when I sit down and I'm putting down a first draft that that's my only shot, I feel like this is a chance to like discover mm-hmm. and that the editing process, which I find very painful and strongly dislike is really where the hard work. comes. That's in. where I come alive. Editing is where it, like, I start to have a lot of fun. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we're good. Yeah. We're definitely opposites on <laughs> okay. this. This is a huge relief. If you were like, and editing is even better than that. I would have thrown you out the window no, straight it's so, away. It's so painful for me. Like, and what, and what's really frustrating is that even when I'm like revising poems, I'll, I'll feel that a word is wrong or that an image is wrong or there's something wrong in the poem mm-hmm. and I won't change it. And, uh, it takes me, it takes me so long to work up the nerve to make that edit that I've known all along needs to get made. And I don't know why that is, but it's deeply frustrating. But it, yours is, um, for the most part, from what I've seen, it's non-rhyming. Uh, a lot of it rhymes internally. Yeah, there's a lot of alliteration. There's a lot of little games hanging mm-hmm. in, in, that are going on, but it's not It's not um, Doesn't 16 rhyme syllables, right. A-B-A-B, whatever. It's not not a, a locked sonnet or something like that. And I, most of the work I do is very fixed in, in meter and in mm. rhyme patterns. Um, which means that if you do change one word, it creates this c- catastrophic ripple effect throughout the rest of that stanza or perhaps the entire piece, um, that, that has to be repaired. So don't you I, get, get off your butt and revise, like change that <laughs> word out. You don't, have, you're not locked I know, into, I have everything going for me and I yeah, won't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, hmm. <laughs> Feel my wrath. <laughs> Can I ask you about the the professional trajectory? Like how how do you how do you make this a job? Mm. I the I checked the 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 supply of poetry. It's not doing so bad, but the demand is through the floor. Yeah. Well, I I saw an article in the last two weeks that said that Gen X or Gen Z is super into poetry. Um, so that's that's good news. What did it say about Gen Z being super into paying for art? Uh, I don't know if they touched on that. That's actually very cynical, and I take that back because I do like. There's obvious evidence of of fans supporting their art, their their artists one to one, like yeah. the people that they like and respect. There's plenty of avenues for that, and, and that was that was dirty. I shouldn't have played that card because no, it's, it's I, just not reflective of of where art is at right now. Traditional models have really changed. Yes, and yeah, so, yeah. So, like the expectations that that maybe we had growing up about how you consume media is really mm-hmm. different now. Even for me as a consumer, and I feel. You know, like streaming services, I feel are weird because I don't own any of that music. And I'm like, it, but it's mine and I want it. I don't touch streaming music services. I'm still by, even if it's MP3s, mm-hmm. I'll be buying it and downloading it. Yeah. Yeah. I That feeling though of like when you had physical media, that was to me, that was always something that had value and you could sell it back. For instance, mm-hmm. like you could sell your CDs or your DVDs. And when you have digital files that like you're, stuck with that. So eventually we're going to have to contend with the idea of digital trash, like things that we've purchased and that we're saving and we don't need. And we they don't have value anymore. I got like a good 50 terabytes if you want to talk about <laughs> digital trash. I can't let anything go. I'm I'm a dyed in the wool archivist. And now that's part of the problem. You don't have to. Yes. Right? When it's digital, but if those were all books upstairs and as someone who has a lot of books and has moved a lot, it's 
um, it's a crisis every time you have to pack them up. Here's the thing about books, though, is I can't replace that. Like, I've tried the the e-readers and all mm-hmm. that. It just does not work because I want to go back and find a thing. And my thumbs remember where that thing is, mm-hmm. but not on an e-reader. Like, if I want to flip through and find that passage that I liked, it has to be physical for it to be effective. Me, and I find that I can't even, like, give attention to a screen as long as I can a page. Not at all. Retention is through the floor for me yeah. when I'm reading on an e-screen. Well, look at us, skull grumps. <laughs> all you kids better get off the lawn right away. Get off the lawn. Um, so how do you, did we finish up on no, we, professional we, pivot? You were reading the article and then I interrupted you. So let's yeah. get back to that article. Okay. So I think people really enjoy poetry. That's, that's my working theory and perhaps that's optimism again, but I think people just don't know what's out there. If you talk to people, they will all have a poem that has really spoken to them mm-hmm. and they might they might believe that that's the only one that will ever speak to them. But, um, I think of poetry like television. And, uh, so if you'd never seen a TV show before and you just turned on your television and what you saw was like, um, apologies for the very dated reference, but mutual of Omaha's wild kingdom. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're like, this is just animals eating each other. Why are people so into television? I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and you turn it off and you never look back. Like that makes sense to me, but you also don't realize that there is so much available to you. If you would just do a little of the work, you definitely find poets whose work speaks to you and, and changes the way you think about things, but you, it, it's not going to be served to you partly because, yeah. um, the, the, the sales model for poetry is, makes it so scarce. It's not readily available. Although the internet and and you know Instagram and Twitter and uh, Facebook have all really changed that, so I think it's been a really good time. In, Instagram is a very good delivery method for stanzas. Like up in stories, you'll see them popping up here, there, and mm-hmm. everywhere. People are sharing something that spoke to them. So yeah, the it's. Uh, it's either like no, no, not enough exposure or just the, the broad swath internet dump of every poem ever written is available to you. So where do you, where do you start leading to my next question? Where do you, where do you start? Who are the, who are the fun ones that you think people should be plucking through? Um, let's see. I think I just read a few books that, um, I thought were really great. One was Jericho Brown's book, the tradition, Mm -hmm. which I think it really captures, you know, what it's like to be a human today. Um, specifically, uh, you know, a a black man who's also queer and how all of these identities intersect and coexist in a larger world where, where a lot of those identities are not valued. Um, and the work is very tight, very compressed. He invents a form in the book called the duplex that I thought was just, so interesting. He repeats a line um, from the bottom of a stanza. It gets repeated at the top of the next stanza, and so and vice versa all the way through the poem. Mm-hmm. So there's this kind of call and response that happens in those in those works. And do those lines like the context makes them different in meaning as you go through? Yes. Or is, okay. Yeah. And sometimes he'll change a word or he'll change the yeah. phrasing a little yeah, bit yeah, just yeah, so yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's, it it evolves as you move through the piece. Yes. Um, I just read a book by Paisley. I'm looking forward to listening to this episode again so I can write down the name you said and and look it up. The other book I just read that has really stuck with me in a different way is Paisley Rectal's book, Nightingale. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not the kind of book that I would normally 
want to read because a lot of it's about um, mythological figures and um, the centerpiece is this almost like an essay Mm -hmm. about um, uh, a, a sexual assault that she experienced when she was younger and it's that it's like a memoir. It's like an essay. It's like she's collaging in material from like Ovid and like just crazy stuff. Um, and that I think like it's kind of haunted me um, both because of the content and the form. And then the book that surrounds it with all of these mythological inspired voices. Um, it's all it's all about transformations that people go through psychological transformations in mythology. Those transformations were physical most of the times, but they were, they were prompted by, you know, traumatic experiences that, that people went through. So that book is just like, it's cycling in the back of my brain during Mm -hmm. the day. Um, and I can't get away from it. So I, I feel like that is a powerful book. You know, what cycles in my mind is I finally read uh, Huck Finn in the last year for the first time in my life. And he meets up with that, the, like the dead poetry section of the girl who wrote poem. It's the weird. <laughs> it's such a weird little interlude, but it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, we still haven't gotten to the the question being a of pro. being a pro. And like, there's something that's on my mind is um, the 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 world of poetry is inextricably linked from your professional life, but it seems unlikely to me that somebody is going to be living only off of poetry. So I'm, you know, not trying to diminish no. that the ingredient of, of poetry and you being a poet, but uh, how do you how do you navigate the world of finance knowing that the demand might not, you know, like there there are other professions that are in a greater demand than poet. Sadly this is true. Um, well, the first thing I think is that all people are really different in taking care of, you know, what their main needs are. And so for me, it was really important that I have health insurance and I do like having a full-time job. Um, Mm -hmm. I like knowing when work starts and when work ends. So like being a consultant, all of those, all elements of being a consultant would make me an anxious wreck. So that's not good for me. Um, but I've had a lot of different jobs in my career and all the time I've been writing. So writing is the consistent thread through all of this. Yes, And it's always been done in my, in my own time, which I'm happy to do. But, um, what makes me really happy is when I get to have a job that allows me to you know, kind of like be a poet at work, but not Mm -hmm. necessarily because I'm writing, but because I'm, I'm like being a cheerleader for writing in general. And, um, so my, you know, my job as the director of the writer's program at UCLA extension, uh, affords me that, you know, it really nourishes me emotionally and spiritually in Mm -hmm. a way that, uh, I'm very grateful for, but my job is basically to either give permission to people who need it, that mm-hmm. they can and should be a writer. Isn't and then, that the weirdest thing? Yeah. That, that the uh, permission to do what you dream of doing isn't like an internal function for most right. people. And I'm not counting myself outside of that class. It takes, like, permission has to come from somewhere, and people forget that it can come from themselves. And that's the most important permission when it comes to writing, because you really have to be able to write the things that are difficult um, for people to read, but also for you to put down on paper. Um, and... 
for some reason, people do not want to call themselves a writer. They think that someone is always going to check their credentials on it. Mm-hmm. And so like, oh, really, you're a writer? Like, what? where's your book? What have you done? You know, yeah. and it's not yeah. like that. Um, the pro- the Anyone who seriously engages with the process of being a writer is a writer. And so all we do is we just like encourage people to see themselves that way so that they can achieve whatever goal they have for their writing. And you totally can write. It's you're a paper and a pencil away from being a writer. Exactly. The, the startup costs are minimal. You can find most of them walking down yes. the street if you're sharp-eyed. The financial investment is low. The emotional investment is high. But the emotional <laughs> rewards of like of of what what you learn about yourself when you sit there staring at that paper and mm-hmm. trying to figure out how words represent you, like the, the you can't learn that any other those parts of your heart. It's, are, are impossible to access other ways. There are other parts of your heart that can be accessed through other means, right. but that's like, it, it's a straight line to something very, very singular inside each of us. And I encourage everybody. To- <laughs> <laughs> I, I do as well. I, I, I really believe that anyone can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, the two things that are required are, are curiosity and discipline. Yep. 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 Keep without going. those, without those, without those two things, like, People always expect talent to be the most important factor in a successful writer, but talent actually can work against you in most cases because it convinces you that you don't have to work hard. And and especially if people are telling you that you're talented, that's really the worst case scenario because then you're like, oh, cool, like I've got this, you know, I'm a first draft writer. But um, the discipline is really showing up every day, doing the work, coming back to the work refining it to the point where it's done. And the curiosity, I think, is the, the the commitment you make to yourself to always be asking new questions and chasing chasing down new projects. Can I jump in on that word talent for a minute? Um, I don't I, I think talent is infinitely less common than we assume it is. And I also think that people who are talented don't really count. Mm. So let me <laughs> let me break that down. That was some pretty ostentatious. Stuff. I'm ready. So like, um, if we're talking music, I think Bjork is talented. Like the stuff that she does with her voice uh, is so good that she doesn't really count as a singer. Like it's from another dimension. Mm-hmm. She was blessed with it. Ninety nine percent of people who we perceive as talented were just diligent. And anybody can be diligent. And I think like instances of talent are incredibly rare, as rare as instances of genius or something like that. And we, we overuse the word genius, too. Yeah. Um, that's, that's all I was thinking when I was thinking of talent, is that people forget that, uh, that, that diligence is uh, the, most, the most common talent and the most learnable talent on planet Earth. It's well, when just you, doing it. When you look at someone's product, it's impossible to know if it's the if it's the outcome of talent or the outcome of discipline. Right? And yeah, and and, and it's ninety nine percent of the time it's discipline. Right. That it's it's you know hundreds of hours mm-hmm. went into that one perfect thing, not fifteen minutes. Right. Um, sometimes it takes fifteen minutes, but that's such a minor like it, it, statistically it's such a minor percentage, not even worth discussing in my mind. It yeah. it doesn't enter the. The debate. We we'll all get into an accident, right? So yeah. and 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 writing the perfect first draft is just as likely. Yes. Yeah. 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 But some people do it. Yeah. And then those people are elevated and <laughs> elevated, and, and it feels inappropriate to me. Um, let, can we talk about Amodovar? Yeah. How old were you when he gave you permission to be exactly who you were? Listen, this is going to be crazy, but in my high school, my tiny rural high school, mm-hmm. my I was the only student in Spanish five in my high school. 
mm-hmm. um, which made it very challenging for me to actually learn anything. I had to work with the only person who was in Spanish four. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she and I were having class in the room with Spanish three, which was, you know, maybe 15 people. Yeah. Yeah. So but we were off by ourselves. Like you just have your textbooks and are running drills against Basically, each other. Basically. Yeah. Um, but my teacher, who was a former nun who married a priest and left the church, mm-hmm. um, thought it would be a great idea to show women on the verge of a nervous breakdown to like 16 and 17 year olds. And, you know, I mean, your teacher was right. I am grateful to her. But honestly, like when I think back on that, I'm like the bravery For in the- that moment. For the people who were baffled, they'd soon enough forget. For the one kid who needed that <laughs> right then, did she know? Like, did you? Do you think she was framing it as a heroic act for the one person who needed to know who Almodovar was? I'll never know. Okay, um, but I don't know if it, intent is as important as the outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so the outcome was, you know, I was like, "What is this magical thing?" Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me a while longer to get back to him, but then um, it was really, I think, all about my mother that led me to become a full obsessed fan with his work and um, go back and revisit a lot of the older stuff and try to stay as current as possible with the newer stuff. Um, I'm a little behind. Uh, me too. But um, there's like a sweet spot in his work that I constantly go back to, and it would be um, from All About My Mother up through uh, The Skin I Live In, I guess. Like there's a there's a run of films there that I think are just brilliant and weird and... Um, he does he does this thing in his movies where he's calling back to his older movies now and I'm just like obsessed with it. I think it's so amazing. He's weaving a mighty large tapestry if that's yeah. the case. That's decades long to to put that together. So the the movie Volver is actually the novel that was written by the woman in The Flower of My Secret and I'm just like like my brain explodes thinking about that. Okay, I jumped into this hoping that you'd be like, and bad education. Let's talk about that. <laughs> I do love you bad are, education. You are out of, I, I'm out of my depths at this point. You know way more about his. But that that is just motivation to get back in that that Almodovar pool. The, the movie that I, I, I still think the most about, though, I think is Broken Embraces, which is maybe the follow-up to bad education. Okay. So I kind of feel like, the, like that's his man period. So all about my mother was kind of, and talk to her. Mm-hmm. is the transitional movie between this this female oriented period and this male oriented period um so and bad education is really the first like movie where men are the characters that we're following and thinking about and their identities are are uh in transition in a lot of ways bad education that's the one with the moon river sequence yeah yeah, yeah. that and the, fucked me yeah, up. The, the boys' school <laughs> and like how that moment resonates through their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Broken Embraces is, is another movie, but it's about a screenwriter who's blind. <laughs> um, and it's about the, the, this event that he had with the woman that he loved in his youth, and then this movie that's being filmed. It's just, mm-hmm. it's. His his work is just so expansive. There's room for so many things to happen in it. And mm-hmm. I think that's what I admire. It's you never reach the limit of his imagination. And it never it never stays folded because so much of the stories are about uh, media and entertainment yeah. and taking the stage and what it means to relate to the audience from the screen or the stage. It just keeps unfolding the 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 feelings and anyway yeah i guess we both like <laughs> um what, what else have we got you were about to say something so i don't want to interrupt it. oh what no was it? uh i was going to talk about um in all about my mother 
that it's really kind of like a mashup of um, which street. only becomes a better film after you watch All About Eve. Y- yes. If you don't see it, watch All About My Mother first, then watch All About Eve, then watch All About My Mother again, and you'll be so happy. And Streetcar Named Desire, because yes, that yes, is yes, the, yes, yes. the play within the movie that also is playing out yeah. in the movie. It just keeps unfolding. It does. It's there's so, There's so many layers to it. It just really rewards persistence. And what what did he what what did he pull on? Like, how did you become more yourself from from that small little town where you opted into a a, a lie of your own? Like everybody else was calling you out on you on it, and you're like, no, 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 guys. Well, I was always, I mean, I was always dramatic. Um, I was always very opinionated. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's weird. Like even thinking about myself in that time, like I think outwardly, you seem I, totally mellow now. I, I, I have calmed down you. quite a bit. Um, but I, I probably projected a lot of confidence. Mm-hmm. I, um, I was sm- smart. I was very involved in school. Um, I was really independent from my parents. I was the last kid left at home and, was really living my own life most of the time and, and competently, like no one had to worry about me and I wasn't generally breaking rules or anything like that or getting caught when I did. Um, but inwardly, like the story was very different. And so a lot of like the thinking I've done in adulthood about growing up is, is really reconciling like what was happening internally versus what was happening externally in my life and trying to see the connection between those two things. And I've, I've been writing a lot of personal essays lately, so I've been revisiting some of those times in my life and some very specific experiences and how they relate to cinema. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it's been it's been a bit more present for me lately than it has. How close do you feel to the emotions of teenage years? Because I I remember the years and I feel a warm nostalgia for the idea of it, but I don't know if I feel the feelings I felt then, if I'm able to pull them back out. They feel very present for me. Um, And I I didn't really... I'm jealous right now. Well, I I guess part of me didn't realize that this wasn't universal, which Mm -hmm. is kind of the... I guess I could say that about my entire life that I'm constantly realizing that things about me are like not, not universal. Um, but I, I love teen television. Love it. I love teen movies. I love YA books. And it actually took me until just a few years ago to realize that that's something that I should do because that's what I want to consume. Yeah. And it's, it's so close to me even still. Um, what I love about adolescence is that so many things are happening for the first time. Mm-hmm. And because of that, you don't have a context for how to react and yep. people make so many mistakes. Um, but fortunately many people get to make mistakes in, in a context of safety or forgiveness. Um, and so that, that, that allows growth to happen. Right. And maturity. Um, also you have this like false idea. You're what 15. So you're like, I've been doing this for a decade and a half. Yeah. I got this on lock. I know what's going on, but you have no idea what's going on. No, no clue. And, uh, when you think about adults, like, you know, as someone who's over 40, like I thought that was ancient. <laughs> yep, yep. And it, and it really feels like it's been five minutes. Yeah. 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 As soon as you cross that like 20, 25 range, it's just like they're clicking off the yeah, days. Yeah. It's kind of unnerving. And I think that's one thing I do remember about being a teenager is that feeling like a day was a long ass yeah. time. There was so much you could do in a day. 
not the case? I don't know what happens. I think it's still that way. And, you know, part of me wonders if it's because on the quantum level, bodies mm-hmm. are smaller and so time is experienced differently. Hold on, slow yeah. down, go back. What? <laughs> um, oh, let's see. So I'm not, I'm not like a quantum physicist, but mm-hmm. like I have, have done a little reading on it. And so for instance, when you are in an airplane, there's research on this. When you're, when you're in an airplane wearing a watch and there's a watch that remains on earth, yeah, the times will be different. The times will be different, right? Yes. Because your distance from the sor- the center of gravity affects the passage of time. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's crazy. Yes, yes, absolutely it is. But if we're measuring time by the speed of light and gravity can bend light, it does make sense. Okay, now now I'm going to now I'm like, "Well, that's, that's that's past me." Oh, it's just that's how we measured all time is based off of the speed of light. All the time that we measure is in relation to that speed. So uh, when when light passes a body as large as our planet, the gravitational pull can bend bend the the waves of light. Um, that's yeah. Well, and light. Uh, I can say it. I, <laughs> do I know what I, it do, means? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the like when I look at a bicycle. I understand how to ride a bicycle, but I could never ever explain the magic that keeps that thing from falling over. And there's also that there's an, an idea that I included in Anopedia that. Um, mm-hmm. light behaves in the way that you observe it or expect it to behave, which I love. Yes. Um, so light is almost like a very good child. Like whatever you expect light to do, it will do. So it will either be a beam or a particle, depending on what you're measuring it for. Could we swap out the word light for the word love and still make, yep, that works. <laughs> <laughs> Tracks. <laughs> Quick question about Nanopedia. Salmon, not the fish. What? <laughs> um, the color. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's how small I think. Uh, yeah. So the reference is in a poem about um, a corral of horses where mm-hmm. the sun is setting. Mm-hmm. And um, the speaker of the poem is debating between the color melon and the color salmon. But both of those are also not colors. They're things that you can eat. Yes. So the speaker felt compelled to clarify that I mean not the fish, but the actual Do you shape. disassociate from the speaker? Uh, I mean, sometimes I would never, not every poem is always me. Yeah. Like it could be an aspect of me or, um, I think in Nanopedia in particular, there's like a weird ventriloquy that's happening because there's a, a, a public and political voice and then there's a deeply personal voice and, and neither of those voices is entirely me, but I would say that I'm present in the voices in some way. Have you ever written poetry that would uh, be almost antithetical to who you are? Like, have you ever gone far away from yourself? I have. And what, what did that look like? Um, so I, I wrote in persona for a while um, because I needed to challenge myself to not write in an I voice. Mm-hmm. And, um, What's the chapter, the sentences with I? What is the title of that one? <laughs> uh, it's called I Statements. I Statements, that's, yeah. what, that's what it was. And all of those sentences came out of the the MMPI test for mental illness. Aha. Uh-huh. So you, you have to like agree or disagree with all those statements. <laughs> okay, so yep, I'll be going back to reread that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was a fun one to put together. Wait, was it, wait, did you write the one with, uh, with words missing from yeah. the, okay, yep, 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 yep that one. Mm-hmm. That one was an interesting little puzzle. Poems uh, in which words have been left out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That one was fun to read. We'll have, obviously, links in the show yeah. notes to, <laughs> to these poems. I'd hate to leave them hanging. That is probably, like, my most successful poem. 
Well, I mean, the, the, the premise is sticky. Like it, as soon as, as soon as you hear the first line or read the first line, you know what you're in for. And it's just like a matter of watching the theme and variation play out. And what you're in for is good. Like it's a, it's a good little trick that you play from, from line one Mm -hmm. and it sustains through the whole thing. I'm, I'm relieved. (laughs) Wait, what? I'm relieved to hear that. It's a solid piece. But now I read it and I'm like, oh, I would do this differently. You know, what would you do differently? Um, there are some things that I would cut out that, okay. and make it shorter, but okay. uh, I think it ends right for okay. sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah, got yeah. a great last line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There. Okay, yeah. If if, if we had to if we had to cut lines, I, there were maybe not not try to dig, but but there were some that were like, ah, that's not there. There there have been better ones before, and yeah. there were better ones after. It, it, it drifts away a little bit. Like it, yeah. it's sort of like it leans away from what the poem should be. Do you ever revise, or once it's locked and published, it's you're done with that? I will revise as long as someone will let me. Um, Who's stopping you? This is like we said, this is low cost. So it's not like there's a producer breathing down your neck. Well, here's an example. I read a poem. um, Let's see. I read from unfriending. Mm -hmm. uh, And there's a line in it. I don't like anymore. And so I didn't read it when I read it out loud. (laughs) Oh, live editing. You're allowed to do that. That's the, the performer's right. That's the first time I've done it. It felt like cheating, but no one knew. No, it's okay. You have my permission to do that whenever you want, however you want. What are you going to do? Sue yourself? I I don't know. It just feels like, you know, someone, someone believed in this poem to print it this way. Yeah. But you know, but I definitely revised poems before they got into the published version of Nanopedia. And some of them, you know, changed quite a bit over time. Do you road test them? Do you do poetry readings to see what kind of response you get? Sometimes. Uh, more previously than now. Where are those in LA? <sighs> I mean, there's some open mics. The The place where I, I was just talking about, that was at Akbar. They do an open mic uh, as part of the Queer Slam series. Is Akbar down on Sunset? Yeah. Is that, yeah, there's like yep. a Del Taco there. Mm-hmm. Yep. I got a good story at that Del Taco if you want it. I've spent many a night at that Del Taco. I was, I was eating my little uh, avocado chicken bowl and this guy walks in and he goes, he goes, what does he say? I love angel dust. <laughs> I love angel dust. I don't care about the popo. I love angel dust. The police showed up like five minutes wow. later. Yeah. And he didn't care about the popo. He was totally fine with them being there. He wanted, he communicated his love of angel dust to them. Not I mean, to dissuade people from going to Akbar. <laughs> please, please check it out. And and that Del Taco is generally a good place to be afterward. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a fine Del Taco. Yeah, you'll you'll almost guaranteed get a story if you swing by there. <laughs> Facts. Uh, so what were you saying about Akbar before I derailed this? Uh, that they have a reading series with an open mic. Awesome. Um, I think open mics are pretty common around yeah. here, around town. Um, There's no shortage of uh, venues to exhibit your talent if you have it, and. Also, venues to exhibit your talent if you don't. It's true. Um, can I do a public service announcement right now? F yeah. Okay. Poetry.LA actually has a list of venues for poets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's huge. I haven't even looked at all of it yet, but um, it's that's a great a great resource. And, and the most comprehensive resource I found of, of places that you can go ask to read or just show up and read. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, let's talk Alabama for just a minute okay. or so, because we mentioned it at the yeah, top. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to leave hanging threads. Um, what do we do? What do we do? Because it's not working. This current model ain't cutting the mustard. This version of America. Um, what do we do? 
And I'm not trying to stress you out. Like you've, you've had such a good run of all your optimism <laughs> and all your good ideas and all your insight. Um, I think we have to let new people lead. I mean, that's the, that's the best solution. And we need to give opportunities to people who haven't had the chance to lead, um, step up and, and be in those roles because the generational tension I think is, it's really wild right now. The difference between like a Gen Z and a baby boomer and how they view the world. And, um, there are a couple generations that are like sort of trapped in between. Mm -hmm. Um, which generation do you count yourself? Well, can I get real granular? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So there's uh, there was an article. I think it was in. I want to say it was. Uh, what's the name of it? Mike. Maybe it was in Mike. Um, identifying the Oregon Trail generation, which is a micro generation between X and millennial, and it's it's like a the five ones year who period. Grew up on the Apple II GS. Yes, yep, exactly. Okay. Playing Oregon Trail yep, in yep, elementary yep, yep, school. Yep. Um, so we're like we're not full digital natives, but like we have adapted very seamlessly to technology. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to be savvier users of social media than Gen X is, um, but not quite as enmeshed as the millennial generation can be. Yeah. Yeah. We're still like suspicious of Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're, yeah. you're Oregon trail gen- generation. Yeah. I, I, I do the cutoff at, um, if you cared about Kurt Cobain's death, you're Gen X, and I just made the cut by like a year. We, my class was into him, and when it happened, it meant a lot to us. Yeah, so I'm I'm Gen X. That's definitely a watershed moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you don't, if you were too young to care, then you're a Gen millennial. Y or Gen Z yeah. or millennial, whatever the next one is. So somewhere that's that's right about the the Oregon Trail generation. Did you put um, the names of the people you hated and then let them die of diarrhea? Was that <laughs> no? <laughs> but now I would. <laughs> did, did you hate anyone? I mean, did you have bullies, or is a town so small that it doesn't really like? I mean, they everyone's accountable. Yeah, it was like I mean, there were bullies and um, people I didn't like, but we just we weren't afforded the luxury of avoiding one another. So yeah, it, yeah it's kind of weird, and I knew most of those people from preschool on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like they're kind of so enmeshed in each other's life. There's only so much trash you can shovel on each other right. at that point. Right, yeah. And everyone, like all the families know each other. So it's like you can't really do too much because it's going gonna, it's gonna to get back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody talks. Yeah. How do we get those younger people involved in the political process? I think they are involved. I think mm-hmm. um, when, when I was in high school... I was also very political. Um, thinking back, like I was, I was, um, I really cared a lot about environmental issues. Um, that was the nineties. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also there were a lot of social justice movements that were like, there was a lot of, uh, discussion about racism, uh, and, and the way that it affected, uh, black communities in particular during that mm-hmm. time. Um, the environmental movement was really taking off. So was the frou-frou yoga, um, eat your, exotic fruit movement like that what was coming out yoga? <laughs> just like um like being in tune um being in tune with uh nature and you know that that i think that's that was part of the environmental movement was like yeah um realizing that humans are part of the ecology of the earth which is okay. n- like not a stretch not full-blown crystal prayer lifestyle but more like kind of headed in that direction yeah, yeah. Of, a, a more centered version of that yeah yeah, yeah. 
Um, I think specifically of like the fruit drink Fruitopia. Yep. yep which yep, was, yep. Um, you know, a strawberry passion fruit consciousness or something. Was when they yeah, the flavors. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, that yeah, impulse yeah. to yep. like make things spiritual when they were just natural. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and I, you know, the things that are happening around gun violence, I, I you know, feels like younger generations are very plugged in to how to mobilize, how to organize. And mm-hmm. those, those are the key strategies for political change in this country. Um, so I want to see more of that for sure. But I think um, old people love to vote. They love it. Yes. They'll never stop. Yeah. And yeah. they don't have the invest, same investment in the future that young people do because they won't have to live with the choices that they're making and for very long. Conversely, they have an investment in maintaining the status quo, right? which look, it just ain't working. It's not cutting the mustard anymore. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's very frustrating. Yeah. Um, so I thought about things like what if we didn't let people to vote after age 65? Like what would that do? And what if we did empower 16 year olds to vote? How would that change the world? Mm-hmm. Um, change is traumatizing in our society though, like no one really wants people want change, but they don't want things to be different. That's a very complex <laughs> yeah. idea. Um, it's like, we don't want to go through the transition. We don't, we, yes, want, we, we just don't want wanna, it to be better now. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't want to have to do the work and that's a real problem. That's preventing us from doing the work. Yeah. 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 I'm done. This is very deep. Yeah. I'm I'm fried. What I'd like to do, if I may, is uh, retire from the Hollywood Fishbowl. Okay. And give you the show. All right. That was an hour? Sure. That was it. Yeah, that's an hour. Okay. We just did an hour. Wow. Yep. All right. I'm going to cut it off. Uh, We get a bathroom break and we're going to reconvene here. Uh, You know, time to time. It doesn't matter. It's all (laughs) bending anyway, based on the speed of light. All right. See you soon. Bye.